0: As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guest today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast, where we talk all about the science of selling. Today, I am so delighted to have Ted Eschman with me. How are you, Ted?
1: I'm good, Wesleyan. How are you?
0: I'm doing awesome. Let me tell you a little bit more about Ted. He's a sales leader in the biotech space, leading the commercialization of new innovative products. He has a passion for working with physicians and healthcare organizations to better patient care and improve outcomes. And he has been blessed to have the privilege to work with many different companies throughout his career. So Ted, how did you start your career and how do you now have this great passion for physicians and healthcare?
1: Yeah, Wesleyan. Thanks, and and great question, and glad and happy to be on here. I'm I'm happy that you reached out and that we were able to connect professionally here, and uh, really for all the listeners that you have. Thank you to them for you know getting on and listening to you today. I think you know folks like you that are innovators in this space as well in the podcast world here. It's very important for those that are really trying to come up in this space and, and learn. And for you to bring you know, folks that are really unable to be accessed by most individuals is really uh, incredible. So thanks for the opportunity to be here. You know, my, my career originally started in finance. So I worked for a Fortune 100 company at a college, always wanted to be in sales had interviewed for a bunch of companies to to start you know Phonak and and others you know to get my start in sales and eventually move into to medical but i really loved finance and i got into a really big organization very competitive got into sales very quickly in under a year there and had an opportunity to learn a ton unfortunately this was during the 2008 not so good finance time and so I had to really look at myself and say, where do I want to be in my career? Where do I want to be in five years, 10 years? When I have a family, where do I want to be? How do I want to you know, make an impact in this world? I knew I wanted to be in sales. I knew I wanted to be in leadership. I knew I wanted to inspire others. And you know, I won't tell the whole story here, but I had a personal event in my family that really drove me towards looking into oncology. And out of everything, I never thought that I would look at going into oncology diagnostics, let alone did I even know what that was at that time. And so it was something that drove me there. I I knew a few folks that had gotten into the medical space. And so I reached out and made a connection with Precision Therapeutics. And I took a, what I would call probably not just a lateral move, but a little bit of a step back to enter the space. I think that's incredibly important for those to, to, for folks looking to get in to really understand that, you know, if you want to get in, you have to make some sacrifices. So I went and I was uh, an account manager for eight different senior oncology specialists in the field. And so I, I did that for a few months. I finally picked up my own territory. It was a territory that was failing. So of course, they're going to give the new guy a failing territory. And we came down to Texas and we really exploded the territory. And we did that through relationship building, consistency of processes and all that sort of stuff. But we'll sure we'll talk about some of that today. So, you know, was able to do that. And then my career really propelled from there. I, I went into Key Accounts and then I took on some new initiatives to you know, in that organization, to take on the really the Northeast, which wasn't Texas, and I didn't know anybody, but it was a great opportunity to expand my horizons. And then, as I looked at the future of being in this field, I knew that I needed to understand where the technology was going, some of the newer things. And so that's how I got into NGS, and I got into some of the things I'm in today. And and that's what led me to be here. And and I'm in infectious disease now, but it's crazy. You have to really just follow the path. Don't force anything.
0: Wow. So when you stepped into this world, you kind of took what uh, we might call like a little grunt role, <laughs> supporting eight salespeople as a key accounts manager. So tell me, how did it help you by really supporting these more senior salespeople, being an account manager? How did it help propel what you did in your career as a salesperson?
1: Yeah, Wesley, great question. So I was really blessed with the opportunity to work with really some of the best in the industry and even the best in the industry today, all over from Louisville to New Orleans to Texas and in between. And it really was a blessing to be able to step into that role. I thought at first, look, I'm really excited. I'm in. All I want to do is get my own sales territory and run. And as soon as I got into that role I realized there's an opportunity here. I've got a lot of career to go and so don't rush anything. You know, learn from the best, really understand how to make this work. I knew how to sell, but I didn't understand how to apply my hustle, my approach and all of that to the medical field and you know some of the nuances to working in surgery, working in a clinic and all of those sorts of things. So I was able to learn that with some really incredible individuals that are still in this field today, some of the top performers in the country, and I was really blessed in that sense. So, you know, it was really incredible. And a couple of those, the key takeaways were really how to handle yourself in situations in front of physicians, how to handle yourself in front of physicians when there's patients present, when there's other staff present are really, really important. The way you handle yourself, the way you know sometimes when you're sitting there even in surgery you want to sit there and you want to wait for your product to be used or you want to wait until it comes time for you know you to be of value and sometimes that takes a while What I learned was it's really important to establish a relationship before surgery, before a procedure, and then be able to ask questions during that procedure, questions that apply to the product that you have, questions that apply to the the individual surgery. And you have to feel out the physician and the person you're working with. But most are pretty accepting of those questions and want to teach. A lot of these physicians want to teach. And so knowing that up front, you can start to build that rapport and it's just, you know, some of the small nuances people don't think about.
0: Mm. So when you transitioned into the sales role, you said you took over a failing territory. Where in Texas was that?
1: So I moved down to Austin, Texas, okay. one of my favorite places. I'm in Houston now, so no disrespect to Houston. I love Houston, <laughs> but Austin is was a fantastic place to go. And it was, they had a ton of, of trouble really getting traction with our products and Just a lot of different health systems and just a different environment
0: down here. So what are some of the things that you did to revive that territory?
1: Sure. So... You know, right off the bat, I learned who our original players were in the market. We had a few physicians that were already sending. Established relationships with them was really important. Got to know who the key figures were, even in their offices. Got to know who the folks were, you know, all the way down to the runners in the hospital system that would, you know, bring Material from a surgery to another location in the hospital. Really, all the key folks that were involved in the process learned who they were, really respected them and what they did, built rapport with everybody throughout the process. And as I was able to build that, and I knew that would take time, and it didn't take as much time as I thought, though, which was really good. And I think most people will find that will be the case. I also established a really good rapport with the physicians. I think they saw how dedicated and and supportive I was in working with those other individuals. I wasn't just there for the business. I knew that if I did it the right way, the business would come. And what that did was it led to referrals to other physicians. You know, I was able to then ask for things and you have to ask, don't be afraid, right? And I was able to ask for those introductions, ask for them to be personally made and over time, we just started to build it out. And I think what's really important is some people want to go to hospitals and really expanded from there. So I kept it small and I grew it. And it was important, too, that I didn't just do what I needed to do to get the business at that given time, but also work with organizations that were, again, we're talking oncology, organizations that are really supportive of patients. And so I got involved with organizations locally that supported, you know, these cancer patients Mm -hmm. outside of just their traditional care. And so I thought that was really important to establish that rapport, be able to have a good relationship with physicians. And I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, Wesley, I personally wanted to do it. I felt like I had a role to play in this and I wanted to make sure that if I did have a role that I was, you know, doing everything I could to be impactful.
0: In that mm-hmm. role. That's awesome. One of the things that I like to tell brand new salespeople is exactly what you did. Go talk to your raving fans. Who are the people who bought from you before? Understand why they bought from you and really try to figure out how you can replicate that success and then ask. Like so many salespeople just don't ask. Sometimes they don't even ask for the sale. (laughs) And so definitely they don't ask for referrals and the worst they can say is no. And if they say no, you go try the next person. If they say no, you keep going until you find the person who's going to say yes. And so I think that really the way that you organically grew a failing territory is exactly what salespeople need to be focused on if they're in a rut, if they're in a brand new industry, if they're in a brand new territory, like where have we found success and what can I do with this success?
1: Yeah, you make a great point too. You know, as you're, you know, sometimes we get away from our our basics, right? Mm-hmm. We get away from that. And we begin to see regression, right? And we begin to see, you know, stagnation. And you know, what happens over time is we just continue to do what we're doing. And that's not what you need to do. Sometimes take a step back, like you say, right? Go back to your roots and really understand, you know, how did you get to where you're at today? How did you have that initial success? If you're not finding success, reach out to someone who's having success in your organization, talk to them, figure out what processes are being put in place. What are they doing? Maybe they're putting binders together for their customers and nobody else is doing that. Or maybe they're going to see them at a time of the day that everybody else wants to be done with work, right? Mm. Take advantage of those opportunities. You know, a case that goes till 10 PM at night, you know, take advantage of being there and just being present and, and taking a part in that in that process, as I said before. And But yeah, I think really taking a step back and really zeroing in on what your, your goals are. And I can tell you that right off the bat, you're not going to see immediate success. Mm. So if you're trying to flip it over, you're not going to see that, but you have to be patient. And I think in sales, patience is the hardest thing because salespeople want immediate gratification a lot of times. And I think that that's the hardest part. But being patient is your biggest tool,
0: mm. in my opinion. Patience. Patience, they say, is a virtue. It definitely yeah. is. Because yeah. especially if you're going from having a territory that maybe has done 60 or 70% of their quota and you're trying to get it to 100%, as a leader, you have to understand that that's not going to happen overnight. As a salesperson, you have to set your expectations up right to know that I might have to do three or six months of work But I know that things are going to turn a corner eventually. I always used to say that in the first half of the year, I'd plant all those seeds and in the third and fourth quarter, they would come out to grow, right? And so it's that relationship, rapport building, really understanding what the physician needs, what that client needs, and you being a resource. And sometimes I think the hardest part is you understand what their challenges are and your solution isn't what they need today, but you help them get to that solution. And since you're the one who will help them get to that solution, they're like, oh yeah, you're my raving fan.
1: That's right, that's right. And I think, you know, you mentioned here, I think the next step is super important. You have to have someone, you know, that you're cultivating, you have to have that next up, and you know someone told me really early in my career in the sur- on the surgical side, and I don't use it as much today, but I I still I apply some of the principles of it, but I can see where in surgery it really does apply in surgical sales, really in all sales, Wesleyan, but you know is the five and five right? Is you would work you know, five cases with five doctors and establish that relationship. And as long as, and I don't think it has to be five and five, it can be whatever you want it to be, but it's about having a process. If you stick to the process and hold yourself accountable and again, patience, don't get too far ahead of yourself and you can evolve that process over time. But five and five was really important. I think it was really important for me to be able to establish relationships, understand the process and that is what I, I used as my kind of go-to when I was, you know, at Precision
0: Therapeutics. Wow. Five and five. So you moved from oncology to infectious disease and many people are like, oh yeah, you're still calling on physicians. It's the same thing. But I know when I moved from capital equipment to specialty chemicals, it was like a whole different world, <laughs> right? So uh-huh. when you made that transition, what are some of the things that you use to get you up to speed quickly?
1: Yeah, great question. So, you know, talking about that transition just a little bit, it was different. You know, there's much of it was the same as far as the principles of sales and going after clients and all of that, but the technology was different. And, you know, the company that I'm with today is really where I started out in infectious disease. When I joined, I joined as business development mm-hmm. and, you know, now I'm the VP of US sales here and but when I started, we used to do a different model as well. So we'd send out and so there were tests that we were going out and selling to physicians that would then, you know, make an order and we would send them back results. So very similar to what we were doing early on in my oncology days, whether it be NGS or, you know, fresh tissue testing. And so a lot of the again, a lot of the principles were the same. But what I did was I networked through my oncology folks. So what I would say is the one thing that I learned in taking this leap, it was an incredible leap, but I knew it was going to be a challenge. I also joined a lot of folks that I really respected that came from oncology, which was really important. And I knew that it would give me an advantage in the field. I knew I, I needed to have confidence when I came over here and not be afraid to learn something new. And, you know, I realized that I think a lot of the skills are transferable. Wesleyan, right? I mean, as you you say, it's a different technology. You need to learn it. But we're all pretty educated. I think we can learn these different technologies. We can learn the science. Stick to your processes, right? Ask your clients the same mentality. Ask your customers today if you're oncology and you're going to infectious disease. Do you know any infectious disease doctors? Do you know the folks in the ICU? Most likely they're going to know them, right? So you know, you bring up a really good point and it's a good topic to talk about is when you transition out of one type of industry into another one, even though you're really maintaining your it's still in medical, you know, do it with confidence. There's still those relationships. Everything links up in a you know, in the end, it's a small world. Everybody knows each other. And so that's what I did. That's how I had immediate success. I learned the product very quickly, as much as I needed to learn out in the field. And then I just I just ask for customers to make connections for me. And that's how I made immediate success. And then I just started to build upon that. And of course, our business model is different today than it was then, but that's how I transition.
0: So you just made my whole day because I often talk about, and I know you guys love hearing me say this, hiring your competitors rejects. <laughs> that's what I like to call it. And I say that Find someone with strong sales skills and you can teach them the product, you can teach them the technology because if your product is as good as you say it is, then you should be able to teach it to a new salesperson, right? But those solid sales skills, the knowing what to do, the knowing how to figure it out, those are much harder to teach. So you can ramp a new salesperson up that's a strong salesperson in three months versus one that has all this product knowledge that you have to break all their bad habits, all of those things you have to undo and roll back. And really you said, it's like, it's the same thing. I asked for referrals. I talked to the current customers. I really started the same way I did before. Yeah. I would always
1: rather hire someone that has the hustle has the ability, is going to spend the extra hours, you know, going after the business, but has less knowledge, right? And because there's some things that you just can't teach, Mm -hmm. right? And that's motivation. That's the hustle. That's the ability to talk to other people, the hungriness. You wake up on a Monday and, and you're excited about that Monday, right? You have to be especially in sales, if you're not excited about that Monday, I don't think you need to be in sales, right? I mean, on Sunday, you should be preparing for Monday, in my opinion, and always keeping that up to date as far as your preparation. But yeah, I think I would always rather hire someone that is, you know, extremely motivated and you can teach. These folks are very educated. You can teach them what you need to teach them.
0: Yeah. And so how long did it take you to transition from individual contributor to manager to leader?
1: Yeah, no, great question. So when I was with Precision Therapeutics, I transitioned briefly just under a year into a manager role, and I I had the privilege of managing some really senior oncology folks in the northeastern United States down to, to Texas, kind of an odd territory. And I got my initial experience managing then the high level salespeople. And then when I moved to some other organizations, I sort of indirectly had some opportunity to to manage some folks as well. And then I had some direct opportunity to manage and hire out some folks that were mid-level, you know, sales folks and some operators as well that would go in and, and work with institutions to, you know, get processes going and things like that. So, you know, how I transitioned was really just, you know plain and simple. I knew what it took for me to get my job done. I knew what it took for, you know, the successful people in the organization to get the job done. I knew how to get sales through, you know, with what we were selling. And so I hired people that had contacts. I hired people that I know had done it before. A bit different here in infectious disease. You really want people that do actually understand the product because it is a high level sale. You want people that know how to navigate some of the larger health systems, contracting, things like that. But I just transitioned by, you know, understanding the process. And one thing I'll also add to that is I didn't see it as much as a huge transition, as much of it as it was an opportunity to learn from some senior folks that I would bring in. And I think you need to surround yourself with folks that could have your job right? Mm -hmm. Folks that can do your job, folks that you could potentially report to. I think it's really important not to look at, you know, folks that are, you know, in roles that need to be reporting to you, but really looking at folks that are going to get the job done, that could have your role. The idea that I wanted to bring here was hire out a team that everyone within that team could be managing this organization. Hmm. And it was really important that we kept that high level of skill and ability here. And so that that's how I approached it. I knew that I'd hire people that would be, you know, resources on different levels and add to that dynamic, add something to the group, to the team.
0: So do I understand correctly that when you went from oncology to infectious disease, you went from being a manager to an individual contributor or was it a lateral move there?
1: Yeah. So so when i was with the previous company before coming over here i was in national sales and so i worked with a couple of specific indications and i would educate some of the folks in the field so my job was to go out and not necessarily manage them per se but i did work with them to help them understand the process, make some introductions to KOLs, get some of that additional business started where they didn't really understand that area as much. And so that was really my job. You know, Indirectly, there was some management there and there was some involvement there, but most of those individuals all reported to our, our vice president of sales okay. as well as myself. And then you know our CEO was very involved as well. But so I did have some experience there and then in my previous job as well. managing so i did have some experience
0: oh no so i was wondering because i know at one point you said that you took like a step back if you will and i didn't know if when you moved because you know you transitioned industries if you will if that was when you kind of had to take a step back to accelerate or propel
1: I did. Yeah. So to finish your question, I did. I actually went to, when I went to ID by DNA, I I went into a business development role. So individual contributor, and I wasn't managing anybody. And until I took on this role I'm in today, I I didn't manage anybody, but I really love the transition back. You know, I, I struggle quite honestly, and I know this is a podcast that's going to be out there and everything, but I I do struggle with, you know, do I want to be managing individuals or do I really want to be selling? Cause I, I honestly, I love the sale. I love that approach. I love managing my business, being the CEO of that business and making it successful and competing, right? And making an impact. And But I also love the management side of things. You know, I love the coaching. I consider myself more of a player coach than anything. I love to get out there and do it myself. I think it's important that you have to show people how to do it and prove that you can do it in order to gain that respect as well.
0: Yeah. That is often things that top salespeople say. It's, ah, man, I really love selling. But I also know that I can make a much bigger impact by teaching five or 10 or 20 people how to be as excellent as I am. But I still like the thrill of, oh, we got the PO. Oh, we did it. Oh, after six months, they finally let us in, right? So it's always that balance.
1: Exactly, exactly. I do, I from my mentors as well, you know, most of them say, it's hit or miss, right? Some are like, you know, I want to, I just want to go out and do it, right? Because I know how to do it. I know how to get it done. But at the same time, I don't know if I really want to do that daily grind anymore. And, and I like the management side of things and in, in some of that. So I think there are some differences out there, but I think most, you know, most that I've talked to really do want to, you know, get out there and, and sell and, and be, a, you know, on the ground, making it happen, especially if you're seeing a failing territory, mm. right? Right. I mean, that's one thing that like if you see that and you know that there's things not happening there, you know, get in, intervene, you know, become a coach. You know, it's not, you know, what are you doing? Are you not doing this? It's really about, okay, what have I done as a manager to not, you know, provide the resources for for you and really uncovering that. So the folks that report up to me, you know, they're my customers as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for me to remember that. And, you know, I've got two ears and one mouth, as I always tell my kids. And so I try to adhere by that rule as well and listen as much as possible. And, you know, nobody's perfect. So it could be some miscommunication or something. So I think it's super important to go out there and intervene and and be a, a listener and move the ball forward.
0: So in your role as a self-proclaimed player coach, I told you we were going to get into sports. <laughs> what oh, are, What's one of the, the biggest uh, challenges that you're having to overcome?
1: You know, when you're a young company and you're innovative, and I'm not even speaking about my company today. I'm just speaking just in general terms, right? When you're in more of the startup space, it is really about having all the pieces together to really make your organization successful, right? And so, you know, I think, the challenges are really, do we have all the pieces in place? And until you really get out and talk to customers, start to integrate, always make sure that customer is in the chair, in the same room with you, with your organization, when you're trying to develop products, when you're trying to, to move the ball forward, trying to figure out how do we sell to this customer? Let's make sure the voice of customer is there. And you know we pretend like they're listening to us. And then we're also going and getting that voice of customer as much as possible to you know to make sure that we're putting all the right pieces in place so i would say the biggest challenge is just making sure that all the pieces to the puzzle are in place you know to really make sure that we're supporting the customer because you can get a contract all day but if you can't support that contract and drive that customer forward and make them a long-term customer then you really haven't sold them
0: yeah i am absolutely with you really thinking about all the pieces of the puzzle because being in sales, being in sales leadership, they're like, okay, here's the process. And it's not just one process. This is a prospecting process. And this is how we demo. And then this is this and this is that. And well, what do the customers actually need? Once I actually sell the item, I have to support them. Or do I hand that off to customer success? And so really thinking about how all of those pieces come together and what is best or how can you set your salespeople up for long-term success?
1: exactly exactly very important and it varies you know at different levels and different products that you're selling but i think what i've learned really lately about more of the democratized testing approach that where a lot of these products even for oncology and you know other products infectious disease are getting democratized and what i mean by that is they're getting put in more of a central location where testing can be done so Versus everybody doing a test send out mm. to a laboratory in you know California or wherever, right? Now we're bringing it closer to the patient, and I think that's a great trend, right? Because then we can expand that hopefully, and you know we can get health equity, and we can you know start to gain traction on some of the things that we're really lacking in healthcare today. But yeah, I think it's really important that you know especially with this more democratized approach that we have the right pieces to the puzzle in place to support these customers so that they can then support their customers, which are their internal uh, physicians, their patients, so on and so forth.
0: Yes, yes, and knowing that, you know, Yes, the physician is your customer, but they have a customer, if you will, too. And so it's not just about the physician. You also have to think about that end customer. Like what is the experience that the patient is gonna get? How does this translate into success for them? Like what are the long-term ramifications? All of those things, right? So when we think about our field of um, you know, this very technical sale, as you mentioned, it is a complex sale. It is a very complex sale because there's so many different buying influences that are involved and most times, you probably never get to talk to the patients, but they're actually the one that gets to say, "Yes, that was great, what you did," or "Yes, that we have increased our patient outcomes," or "Their, you know, their their rate of being readmitted is lower." Like, so all of those things are so important.
1: Yeah, I agree. And over time, you always want to requalify your, you know, your customers, right? It's really important, as you know, right? It's kind of the basics that and a lot of people don't do it which is really interesting but always have a certain time set out where you're going to re-qualify, you're going to get in touch with that customer. You know, generally you're making it about, you know, you're bringing other additional materials so you're you're justifying that conversation, but I think it's really important to re-qualify, make sure the customers are still on board. We know that, you know, competitors are always hitting the market. Mm-hmm. And as much as we think that we know all the competitors in the landscape, a lot of times they come out of nowhere and they'll be talking to your customer for months and your customer is not saying anything to you not because they don't trust you or that they don't you know but they they may not actually see that it's a competitor right away right and over time then that starts to evolve and if you're not doing the requalifications you're not you know staying really relevant to the conversation with new product development you know things that you can add on to those products that might add additional value to that entire sale and what I mean by that is we don't just sell products, we sell solutions, mm-hmm. right? And you really have to have that mindset. So what is the full solution, right? It's not just the product. It's everything that supports it and everything around it. So you really have to be careful. You know, the competitors are, are there. And so I say recall is one of the biggest things that people don't do that should do.
0: Absolutely. And when I hear someone and they're like, oh yeah, we don't have any competitors because our product is so unique and so cutting edge. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But you know, the biggest competition that most people don't even think about or consider is the competition of doing nothing, right? Of not changing, right? And so you have to realize that they can say, I don't want to do anything. Like, and that is a lost sale too. They're like, nope, it seems too complex. It doesn't seem worth the risk. It's not this, it's not that.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great point. And, you know, I think it's really important to, obviously in negotiating, to always get to that no as quick as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can move forward. I think those that... Don't make a sale right away with a customer, right? Make sure you establish that relationship as well. Maintain that relationship. Make sure you walk away with an opportunity to come back at some point and know why you lost that opportunity. Don't just walk away with a lost opportunity. You know, ask the questions, you know, what could I have done different? What was it about our product that didn't entice you today to want to move forward? You know, you may find that it's something you just didn't address as well. Or maybe you tried to close too soon without building up the need as much as you needed to. And which again, is very important, right? If you don't build that need up enough, you know, you can't come in for that close. And so closing too early is I think often what people do as well in this space and is not, you know, is not something you want to do. And so I think, but very important, you know, as you, you get no said to you, as customers decide to move forward with another product, maintain that relationship and make sure you can come back to them later and ask the questions.
0: And I love to say that it's okay to lose, but it's not okay to to lose the same way twice. And the way that you prevent that is by doing a full post-mortem on, okay, why did we lose? What missteps did I personally make? Because if the salesperson doesn't take responsibility for their part in it, they'll blame the company. They'll blame their boss. They'll blame the process. This didn't go out in time. It was this. It was that. But they have to really peel back the layers of the onion and figure out what they could have done better in order to move the deal through the pipeline.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, really important.
0: And so you've had such a a diverse career starting in financial services and oncology and now infectious disease. What is something that you are most proud of accomplishing?
1: Beyond my kids, career
0: wise. It can be personal or professional. It could be your kids. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I, I would say just being able to really love what I'm doing being able to, you know, have a family that understands there's a lot of work that goes into that. And, you know, working for innovative companies requires a lot of work, you know, and you really have to love what you do to put that work in. And, you know, having my lovely wife, you know, who supports me tremendously to let me, you know, do all of these things. The fact that I have a you know beautiful children i've got i have 3 two girls and a boy you know is is really important to me Th- those are probably my biggest accomplishments and being able to provide for them as well is a really big accomplishment in my book and giving them opportunities that you know maybe i didn't have growing up and things like that as well and also i would say you know not matching that but another thing is i've been very blessed to have really good mentors hmm. and throughout my career I've tried to humble myself and do want to learn and want to, you know, really be invested in the process. And so I've gained some really, really key, you know, (laughs) folks that I can lean on when I have questions. Mm -hmm. I would say as you grow in your career, Really stay close to the people that you want to follow, the people that really motivate you. It may not even be that obvious sometimes, but it will come to you. Mm. Stay close to them, be able to ask them questions, and no question's a bad question. So I would say you know, to back up the family, to bring it more back to business, Wesleyan, I think the folks that I've been able to establish relationships with and be able to lean on over the years is one of my biggest accomplishments, Mm. I think. That's awesome. On top of obviously being able to put products out that, you know, hopefully, you know, save lives and, and increase survival and, and all of those things. Those are more of the obvious ones. But for maybe some of your listeners here, some of the less obvious ones would be really my mentors, the ones I've been able to build
0: and i really love that 360 degree view that you you gave because it's like my family and my mentors right and so it's like what's above what's below what's beside me and thinking about your wife and so those are some amazing amazing things to be proud of as we wrap up i am curious what is the one best way that people can reach out to you if they want to get in touch
1: yeah so i always just tell folks you know connect with me on linkedin i do do some mentoring on the side as well with some younger sales folks that are looking to get into the industry. My recommendation is generally always to go the route of you know some key companies that are out there that have some great training programs to get into the market. You know again, follow the process, right? I think the process is very important. Don't get impatient, things will come. But I would say LinkedIn and then you know for those that I connect with on there, generally just connect via phone or email and, and set up some time.
0: Well, thank you so much, Ted, um, for sharing your time, your talent, your expertise, and all your knowledge with us today. It has been a pleasure, and I've learned so much from you.
1: Thank you, Wesley, and I really appreciate the invitation and look forward to listening to your podcast to come as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. And remember, in everything that you do, make sure that you are focusing on how you can sell better and transform your sales. Until next time.
1: Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.